Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back or welcome to the Building Efficiency Podcast presented by Nenny and Associates. I'm your host, Jim Schaefer. Now, if this is your first time tuning in, Nenny and Associates is an executive search firm focused on the building efficiency industry. Hence why we named the podcast the way that we did. And simply put, we help our clients find the right talent. Each week, we sit down with leaders from the industry to discuss their backgrounds, how they got started, and where they see the industry heading. We also get to know our guests and find out what drives them to be successful. And on today's episode, episode 100, we sit down with Brad Jenkins. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I had been bugging Brad about this for a couple of years now, and we bumped into each other at the uh, NASCO conference a few weeks back, and he finally agreed to come on and be a guest, and I'm really glad he did. Brad walks us through his background and how he landed in the energy services industry, and it was really neat how Brad was able to share some of the lessons learned on sales and sales leadership along the way. We spent a significant portion of the episode discussing the Metris Energy business model and how they're separating themselves from their competition in this industry. And as I mentioned every time on each one of these episodes, be sure to stick around to the end to hear what motivates Brad and what drives him to continue to move forward at this point in his career. Now, if you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe to our channel and consider downloading this episode and future episodes. This is really the only way that we can track how many people are listening. So if you're one of the folks out there still streaming, I urge you to consider hitting that download button instead. And if you enjoy this episode, please share it with your network and recommend to a friend or colleague in the industry. Now, we think you're going to really enjoy this conversation with Brad and me. So let's drop in. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast. Today we're sitting down with Brad Jenkins, who is the Vice President of Sales with Metris Energy. Brad, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jim. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, yeah, I know I've been bugging you about this for, you know, probably a year or two to, to get you on. So I'm glad we finally uh, carved out some time and made this happen. Yeah, looking forward to it. I'm sure a lot of people listening are going to recognize your name, but uh, for the folks out there that, that don't know you, tell us a little bit about uh, your background, kind of where you grew up and you know how you got started in your career. Sure, sure. You know, you wouldn't hear it in my voice, but I'm from the Boston area originally, uh, born and raised. I actually probably lived outside of New England for less than 18 months of my life um, and uh, went to a small liberal arts school in Maine, studied biology. Came out of there thinking maybe I wanted to teach and uh, quickly learned that I got tired of talking about stuff that I knew about already. And so moved into uh, moved into a different a different arena, um, sort of fell into a role selling, of all things, uh, recycling of air filters for diesel engines. And uh, that, that was an interesting uh, trial by fire. It, Talk about cold calling, a, a young preppy looking kid uh, pulling into maintenance yards for bus bus depots and, and construction sites, telling guys that they haven't been maintaining their uh, air filters, which can be expensive uh, for their expensive you know digging equipment the right way forever. And uh, they'd kind of look at me cross-eyed and then convince I'd convince them to give me a couple and give it a try. And, you know, that. That played its course out. I think the the biggest value for me certainly wasn't uh, compensation. It was the experience. Um, and uh, as that played its way through, uh, the company that I was working for had partnered with another company that was in relative startup mo- mode, uh, recycling lamps and, and ballast 
uh, back at the time where it was still being established as a as a viable industry. And um, so again, was kind of running around to places trying to convince them to do something that they didn't really think they had to do. And uh, so the way I ended up landing in this industry was after doing that for about five months, I was told, hey, go meet this company, Noresco. And uh, I end up sitting in a room. I literally felt like I was, you know, there was there's bench seating and people standing over me with a hot spotlight on me, trying to convince them to recycle light bulbs. And uh, I must have done something right, because all of a sudden I started seeing orders that were bigger than, you know, what I'd been getting before. And that sort of got my competitive juices flowing. And I decided at that point that sort of the ESCO and energy efficiency space was where I wanted to be. Yeah, I was waiting for the connection point. I was like, all right, where's where's biology and then the recycling with the filters? Okay, the lamp and ballast recycling kind of got you into the uh, into the lighting space here. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was it it went from, you know, hitting singles with lamp recycling with, you know, facilities sending in a box at a time to home run derby, which was which is really what got me excited about it. Yeah. What uh what year was this? What Oh gosh! Time this, frame this been, not around 1998. Okay, I started building my network in the ESCO space around then. And uh, um, in terms of next steps from there, I I, I uh, actually developed a relationship with some some key people at Sylvania um, that were running the national account team. A gentleman named Mark Corcoran, who I still consider a mentor of mine today, um, and. Uh, Things ran their course there, and and uh, I ended up going to work for Sylvania uh, in the national account team um, after a brief stint in another role as their national ESCO manager for about nine years, uh, running and and sort of helping the organization sell products, the ESCO and lighting contractor space on a national basis. So that really opened up the country for me in terms of uh, meeting uh, meeting people and understanding the industry. Uh, and at a much larger scale. So from there, you know, things again, it, 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 uh, opportunities afforded me to, to expand my horizon a little bit more. Um, and I think you may see a trend here as I get through this is that each step along the way in my career, I've kind of moved up the value chain a little bit, right? I started out and this, I started out taking light bulbs apart and then I went to let's put them together and sell them. And, after that, I went to a company that uh, specialized in lighting and lighting controls. So I moved into a role um, running sales for that uh, organization, where we again serviced ESCOs entirely. Um, now we're you know we're developing projects and installing them, and uh, that was about a five year stint. Moved my family to Connecticut for that role, and. Uh, over time, it became apparent that, that lighting controls, um, while they're making a comeback now at the time, especially in the ESCO space, were, were becoming less and less important because LEDs were coming on and the paybacks for, for controls were, were extending further. So I started looking again and, and um, managed with, with your help uh, to land with Retrotech Systems, um, which is which I always laugh about a little bit. I tried to sell them lamp recycling and Sylvania products for 10 years prior, yet they decided to hire me in a sales role. So, <laughs> um, but it worked out great. Uh, yeah. The retro tech culture and people were, were a spectacular group. And um, so stayed there through the merger with LRI to become Envocore, 
and uh, and transition more into a leadership role running the sales team there. Uh, and then last winter, um, decided it was time for a change in terms of, you know, new challenges. So again, swimming up the value stream ended up at Metris in the energy of energy as a service space, uh, you know, providing financing and funding projects. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Just taking a step back for a second. When you were with Practical Energy Solutions or Retrotech, at what point did you step into kind of a pure leadership role? Yeah, it was it was at Practical Energy Solutions. Okay. Um, I came in, you know, it was it was a small company. Um, I came in, uh, was managing two or two other sales, two salespeople. Was a, there was still some seller doer going on, right? It was all hands on deck in that in that scenario. Uh, but over time, as we built the business up, I took on some more leadership uh, responsibilities, overseeing. They had a small CNI direct install program with Connecticut Light Power, um, and uh, and also started adding adding teammates to the uh, you know to the PES sales team, and and essentially at that point, I really became sort of the the more of a leadership role than a than a seller doer. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the way that I think about sales leadership or leadership in general is it's it's continuous it's ongoing right we're always learning and developing and honing honing that uh that artistic craft if you will i guess what have you what have you learned so far from a sales management or sales leadership standpoint you know just throughout your time in the industry yeah well um i think the first thing is to recognize that as a leader you can't let yourself get too far away from the customer hmm. Um, so actively being involved in, in, uh, customer engagement helps you help certainly helps me do my job better mm. uh, on a number of different levels. Uh, number one, remaining engaged with the customers, but number two and the marketplace and, and, and the way it may be changing over time. It also does, uh, I find helps the, you know, my team members feel like I'm more engaged with their, with their day to day business. If I understand what's going on with their accounts, certainly helps them, you know, feel encouraged and feel supported. Uh, the other piece to that is knowing on what's going on, knowing what's going on in their lives, right? It, it's 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 a personal relationship, and and people I find that people perform better when they feel comfortable, when they feel appreciated, when they feel recognized for what they're good at, and and everyone's good at different things. So mm-hmm. some of that is is you know, providing encouragement for the things that they're good at, but also helping in a positive way for them to recognize areas where they need to need to improve. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think everybody appreciates honesty. And and honesty doesn't necessarily have to mean you know, honesty in a productive way, as opposed to, you know, we've all had some bosses that may not be honest in a productive way. Yeah, yeah. The other, yeah, the, the other way I've heard that said is like, don't be afraid to tell the truth, but tell the truth with kindness, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, that's yeah. Uh, no, that's great. Okay, no, I, I just I was just thinking about that. So, uh, no, I think that's uh, that's really good insight there. So, all right, so you brought us up to present day Metro Synergy, and again, there's probably a lot of our audience or listeners here that will recognize the name. Some of them may know what. Metro Synergy does, and a lot of them probably don't. So just tell us a little bit about Metro Synergy, maybe the background, the history, and just kind of how you guys are set up today. Yeah, sure. So, um, and I'm familiar with Metris going back to my retro tech days. We actually did a project with Metris, but 
So I would say this, you know, Metris was founded in 2009. We're one of the pioneers in energy as a service, going back to probably before the term energy as a service was a mainstream uh, term that everybody was hearing on a day-to-day basis. The core of what we do is we're a platform uh, to support partners uh, to offer energy as a service to their customers. And so there are a lot of different ways to define energy as a service. In simple terms, what I would put it as, is it's a, it's a third-party ownership mo- model where Metris will come in, buy the project, own the equipment, bill the owner for units of measured energy saved, and pay, the, pay our partner to do the project up front the way they normally would be paid. And then we rely on that partner to provide ongoing maintenance and M&V services for the term of the contract. Uh, the way the deal is structured, it's an off-balance tip. Well, it's typically considered an off-balance sheet solution. You know, we're we're not uh, accountants, so we can't necessarily uh, counsel our customers on how to treat it. But that's what that's you know that's how it's typically handled. Um, so we go to market, um, and this is evolving a little bit. But we're we're we've become much more focused on going to market through partners and supporting them. Uh, supporting their efforts to make sure that they enjoy positive outcomes uh, and pull us along for the ride with that. Yeah, I just, you know, having Jan is uh, is just really timely here because I feel like there is so much conversation around energy as a service and public-private partnerships. And, you know, especially, so a lot of the times we think about energy as a service, we think it at the private sector level, right? Commercial, industrial, private higher education, you know, those types of institutions. But I just know a lot of the conversations lately have been evolving more towards, hey, how can we roll out this model towards the public sector, if you will? And I've had other guests on, we've had similar Similar conversation. So, Brad, I just wanted to get your take on kind of how you see the market today, kind of how your customers are responding to us. You know, we have an ESCO out there that's traditionally doing K-12 municipality type projects, but okay, there's so much opportunity. I'm hearing about energy as a service, right? How do we do this, right? So how much of your time is kind of educating them on the private sector efforts versus how much of it is maybe planting seeds for future public sector efforts, if at all? Right, right. Well, and so that I, I'd answer that. A couple different ways, Jim. Um, first is, and it, it's a great question because it leads into some some things about our history that I left out. In 2022, Metris was acquired by Energy Capital Partners, uh, a multi multi billion dollar private equity firm that really has been they've been around for I think 30 years, focused on the energy space, everything from electrical generation assets to you know to Metris. We're we're a little you know, tail wagging the dog within the within the uh, the various holdings that they have. Um, but what that's done is obviously, you know, private equity comes in; they they want to see growth, and so um, there there are multiple ways to grow a business, right? One is to to do to do more in the space that you're in already, which which is great. You know, we've we've carved out a nice a nice uh, niche for ourselves in the private sector. So, um, but we do recognize that. Uh, we, in order to become, you know, the, the funding partner of choice, we need to be able to handle as much uh, of the funding needs that our partners have. And so, there are some gaps there for us now that 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 we're working on filling. Everything from you know from solar to uh, battery storage to you know to other things that people haven't even thought about. We, we you know, I think I think the strength of the team that we put together. Uh, here, uh, uh, along with the legacy knowledge that that uh, comes from being around since 2009, 
has put us in a good position to evolve with the market as as uh, as it you know as it grows and changes and certainly public sector is is uh is a key component to that so what i've learned as opposed to, you know in in my prior life in contracting this the secret sauce was was the people and your systems to make sure you you know you had thorough audits that were accurate and you had project managers that could execute on them well uh here it's as much about you know the 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 intellectual capital around uh, how to structure deals and and the paper that supports that. So it's not, not as easy to launch new products as as you might think. Well, hey, it's just you know you're just writing a different contract, but there's a lot more that goes into that that I've learned here in my seven or eight months since since joining. Yeah, you mentioned you know the uh, the opportunity to launch new products or some of the challenges that uh, are associated with that. But are there, is there anything that you can share today that, you know, Metris is looking at or pursuing that might be an add on to how you're going to market today? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and this was announced, I think in the, in the NASCO newsletter back this past summer, but um, <clears throat> what we've done historically, everything we've done has been pay for savings. So the, the billing mechanism with the owner has been units of measured energy saved. Um, and it's been, been driven by cash flow positive situations. And, you know, so one thing that we've seen change in the market is, you know, LEDs and water efficiency, a lot of the low hanging fruit have been picked out of some, some, uh, some buildings where companies or hospitals have, have done a good job of, of reducing their energy consumption. But then all of a sudden they're hit with um, the need for new HVAC equipment. That maybe wasn't included in that first round, and the cash flow that that would have been generated from the low hanging fruit is not available to help offset the cost of um, the boiler or chiller. So we've developed a program now where it's it's pay for performance. So rather than invoicing for uh, units of measured energy saved, we are invoicing for uh, measured thermal energy delivered. So it's not a cash flow positive situation, but it's a way for owners to acquire new equipment, again, with the same model, third-party ownership, in a format and structure that we believe is should be considered off-balance sheet. Yeah. Okay. No, that's 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 really cool. Yeah. Just like any other company, right? You're always looking for ways to innovate and grow and adapt to to what's going on in the market. So, you know, one of the the last things here is, is we just kind of round out the the Metro story. You know, we've had a lot of guests on that have you know are leaders from ESCOs, whether that's a tier one ESCO doing energy performance contracting, or maybe it's an energy retrofit company that's doing turnkey projects in the private sector, and they haven't quite embraced the energy as a service model yet. Let's just say their customers have predominantly been CapEx, or they don't know anything about it, or they're skeptical. So let's say one of those leaders is tuning in right now, listening to this podcast. You know, what would, how could Metris serve them today? Like, why go with Metris versus a CapEx versus, you know, one of the other competitors that are out there? I'm putting you on the spot. Sure. Okay. Yeah, no problem. Um, I'll, I'll address the, you know, why go with energy as a service first. So energy as a service does solve a lot of problems and and removes barriers that you may not be aware of going into any sales opportunity right and and i think that a lot of these service providers are really just initially focused on selling a project so if you go in and lead with energy as a service 
you're able to address a lot of the financial questions up front around budgeting, around cost of capital, around um, competition for capital. That that uh, that energy as a service would would remove those barriers for you. So, and a lot of the people I've spoken with have, have agreed that it's easier to lead with energy as a service uh, than to pull it out as the financing option of last resort. <clears throat> so. With that said, the challenge is confusion in the marketplace around what energy as a service is, building owners or or uh, facility managers not, not understanding what energy as a service is and the finer points of, of why what advantages it provides, lack of access to CFOs to have those those conversations. So we're working closely with with all of our partners to try to educate them on how to sell this properly. Uh, and that's that's a key skill that that our regional sales team is developing or has developed, so that we can help support our partners in in closing these deals. Um, in terms of why why Metris, I think what differentiates us is that we're entirely the way we're structured and the people we have on our team. We're entirely focused on finance, and we really need our partners to develop projects, to design projects. To guarantee projects and to implement projects, we, we don't have engineers. We have two that are there, you know, to review things technically. But beyond that, they're not going out and doing audits. We don't have project managers. We don't buy equipment. So really, it is a true partnership where we're looking to our partners to to do business the way they want to do business and and uh, let us fund it. So they do what we're good at. We'll do what we're good at. Uh, because anytime we try to ask somebody to go outside their box and fo- and follow rules that we establish on how they should be doing business, it creates opportunities for errors. And just in simple terms, I, I would challenge anybody listening to this to point out a project that had a bad audit that turned out well for them or their customer. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that's a that's a great point. Yeah. I guess what I hear there is like just this complementarity, right? You guys do what you do best. Esco's do what they do best, and you know everyone could could win and you know get better results from it. So, well, good, good. All right. So, so let's um, we've kind of touched on it just previously here, but just to round out, you know, the future of the industry, right? We talked about public sector, we talked about private sector, energy as a service, some different services that you guys are rolling out, but. Brad, if we were to fast forward, you know, 5, 10, 15 years later on down the road, you know, where do you see this industry heading? And you could take that from an energy finance standpoint or from an ESCO standpoint, however you want to view it. Well, I, I think I think um, a couple things. I think the industry is is there's a little bit of turmoil right now in terms of what the future is going to look like, what services are going to be offered. I I absolutely believe that energy is going to become a reduced focus in driving these projects. And, and you can see it now with, with uh, um, the focus on, on climate positive outcomes. And so because of that, uh, and we're, that's part of the reason we've developed this HVAC as a service solution that I talked about earlier. But I think in the long term, uh, between, between the, the law of diminishing returns with some of the low-hanging fruit projects out there that, that we're going to have to find, as an industry, other drivers, compelling reasons uh, for buyers to move forward with projects. And and so I, I wish I could say I knew what they are. I think it's probably going to be something related to climate, whether that's voluntary or 
regulated uh, is yet to be seen. Uh, there are a couple of experiments going on right now in New York City and, and Boston, I believe Denver too, where it's it's regulated. And so it'll be interesting to see what transpires over the next five years with, with those programs. Yeah, we've had other guests mention similar things. So, um, you know, I think that uh, there's something to be said there when you start hearing the same thing uh, more than once or twice. So I think you're onto something there. All right. Well, let's um, let's close out the show. I wanted to ask you the, the same four questions I ask every guest who comes on. And Brad, I wanted to lead off with what are your daily non-negotiables? Well, first, for me, one non-negotiable is... is uh, a good half an hour of my, of my own time before sitting down at my desk, uh, whether that's taking the dog for the walk, for a walk, or reading the newspaper uh, and having a cup of coffee. Um, the other one, one is uh, at some point midday, I need a break. And usually that is surrounded around, uh, with some sort of exercise. I need, I need to move my body to clear my head. Um, it's, it's uh it's important it's important for maintaining work life balance for, for for maintaining effectiveness throughout the day for me so all right and what advice would you give to your 22 year old self well a similar thing i talked about work work life balance i would say that that you know at 22 years old there are a lot of distractions maintaining work life balance isn't isn't that big a challenge right but as you get older and and you know, have more responsibilities and pressure. I would tell my 22-year-old self to not forget that work-life balance. And you know, as you get older, it's it's important to take care of yourself along the way. What motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Winning. I'm I am I am extremely competitive. So coming to work and winning may not be just myself. I, I like you know I. I played hockey growing up so i liken myself i'm the playmaker i I like to see the team win i like to be the the setup guy to help you know help other people succeed and so that's that's uh that's really what gets me up in the morning that's great and last question here what do you want your lasting legacy to be i'd like to be remembered as someone of high integrity that was successful and did it the right way by treating people fairly and, and with courtesy and respect all right. Well, Brad, I think it's a perfect way to uh, to round out the show here. Thanks for being a guest on the Building Efficiency Podcast. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate it. All right. All right. There you have it. Episode 100 with Brad Jenkins. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you did enjoy it, please be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you enjoy listening to your favorite podcast. We hope that you're sharing this with your friends and colleagues. And one last thing, if you have any future guests in mind from the industry, please reach out to me. We'd love to hear from you loyal listeners. So until next time, I'm Jim Schaefer, and we'll catch you on the next episode.